Hello, credit union executives. Welcome to See You on the Show, where we give you up-to-date information on how you can reduce risk, keep key talent, and take a strategic approach to your personal financial wellness. Hosted by me, Doug English, a certified financial planner and former credit union insider with ACT Advisors. In this episode, we're continuing our conversation with Eric Stearns and Jay Rogers from Stearns Financial. We're going to dig into the use of the Life Note strategy for common credit union deferred comp plans like 457F and collateral assignment split dollar plans. In my case, when I see um, a credit union executive's financial plan and most of the collateral assignment policies I'm used to seeing tend to target that 50 to 60% replacement ratio at retirement. And when when we put that into somebody's plan and, and analyze it out, it is absolutely mission critical that that happen. If that was to go away or be materially less in value, most executives' financial projections are going to fail or be dramatically affected. So I think that this is is a critical point with what's happened in the equity markets, obviously have have reduced a a lot of return expectations that may have been in indexed policies. And then uh, the, uh, the low interest rates that we had the last several years may have caused some underperformance of traditional interest rate bearing policies. So uh, Eric and Jay, let's talk about some uses of the life note strategy for collateral assignment and 457F. So which one should we start with? Why don't we go ahead and start with some of the collateral assignment pieces? And I want to kind of set the stage and build on what you said a little bit in that when we approach a collateral split dollar plan, a 457F plan, you know, whatever portion of deferred comp we're looking at, there are really a couple of things. And I think you made a very good point in that it really has to perform. In other words, as a CEO, so those CEOs that might be listening, you've made a life choice to work at a credit union and not a bank and not somewhere else where it could have been more lucrative, where it could have had, you know, there could have been equity. There could have been a lot of other things that are involved. And that means that your compensation package has been a little different. And it also means that many of our clients have the biggest asset they own from a retirement standpoint is their split dollar plan. And it needs to be the most secure portion of that program. Now, the advantage of that is that allows you to take different risks. It allows you to do different things with your 401k. It allows you to to do all kinds of, to change the, the, the metric of when you take social security. You know, it gives you a lot of flexibility. But in order for those things to happen, it has to perform. And the way in which it performs is dependent often on the underlying life insurance. You know, if, if the original program is funded so that it minimizes the investment and maximizes your return, given the current set of its assumptions, it's all down to those assumptions. And what we have seen, and kind of to the, the prior podcast, you know, what, the reason that we came up with this strategy is that those assumptions might have been reasonable assumptions 10 years ago or, or five years ago or even last the beginning of this year, but those aren't realistic assumptions. And the problem with that is that the credit union then puts all of this time and effort and investment into crafting a retention strategy that's based on certain payouts and certain objectives and then essentially seeds the control of that 
of the success of that program to an insurance company's product. And I would say that that trade-off is a reasonable trade-off because it could be worse. You know, you could be trading it off to market returns, you could be trading it off to a mutual fund. Here, we're trading it off to an insurance company, which is generally going to be whole life or some combination of whole life and, and or in index universal life that is going to have a very stable return over time. So it's minimizing that. But there's still some aspect to that, especially if it's funded at a level where as interest rates change, as assumptions change inside the life insurance, it starts to have an impact on the projected benefit. And I'm going to give you a case study. Actually, I've got a couple of case studies on this, but one is a retired executive of a plan that we in, that was inherited by a client of ours that uh, came in as part of a merger. And this retired executive was 10 years into their program, this being the 10th year. They had 20 years of total planned withdrawals. And given the, you know, looking at the decrease in dividend rates at the insurance, the whole life insurance carriers, and the decrease in the cap rates leading to a lower availability of projecting future results on the IUL programs, we determined that it was very unlikely they were going to have those last three withdrawals, maybe even last four withdrawals, and still be able to repay the credit union in full and do everything that that needed to happen from a plan execution standpoint. As mentioned, this whole LifeNote strategy was born out of this concern. It was born out of this scenario. So this is exactly what it's supposed to do. We put this program into and utilized the life note strategy, and we were able to have the credit union be repaid in full in 10 years instead of waiting until life expectancy or the full lifetime until, uh, until death, until there was a mortality event. And this particular executive retired at age 60. Their draws were to age 80. There were very likely life expectancy close to 90. So we were looking at a 20-year, even 10 years into the withdrawals, we we're looking at 20 more years until the credit union is going to have that return of cash. So we were able to essentially cut that in half. Their, their duration became a fixed 10-year number at the same interest rate. And they were obviously much happier about that, uh, especially if, with a plan that came in as part of a merger. From the executive standpoint, we were able to have a 10-year guarantee on that payout. In other words, we were able to exchange or, or to use the strategy to redesign part of the program to allow for a annuitization, meaning there was a life insurance company guarantee. I always like to caveat the word guarantee because there are lots of guarantees in the world. You know, You can create a guarantee by overfunding it to a point where it should never fail, which is pretty common. That's essentially what, what you're looking at at most split dollar plans is they're funded to a point where they have a 99 or 95% probability of success, which you know that's one form of a guarantee. Another form of a guarantee is an insurance company saying, you know, this is our contractual obligation to uh, policy owners or, or annuitants. And then of course, there's government guarantees, which everyone could say that it's a risk-free rate until you're holding a bunch of treasury bonds when things start going crazy. And now you've taken losses and you're like, wait, I thought this was guaranteed. Well, it's still, yeah, it's a guarantee until they print all the money and de- devalue the currency. So everything has some amount of, of risk to it. It's just a matter of what you're being compensated for. And here, the, the executive was able to essentially give up a portion of the life insurance in exchange for a guarantee. And as I said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, what are you giving up? What's the, what's the trade-off? Is that there will be less life, you know, less pure life insurance to the executive, but it also means that 
the executive was still going to receive uh, a guaranteed amount of life insurance and the the guarantee of the future payout to a beneficiary. So, you know, it was a very worthwhile trade in this instance. Now, that doesn't mean they have to do that. We can actually look at this, use this life note strategy in a couple of ways to what I call fix, you know, the, to rescue a split dollar plan. And one of those ways is to look only at the credit union side of the transaction, you know, looking at the promissory note or the promise of the repayment as a receivable asset and analyzing that and, and bringing that into the life note strategy to have a earlier repayment. And then separately from that is the actual calculation of the benefit and how the manifestation or the payment of that benefit and maintaining it in a way that allows us to, or, or creating it in a way that allows us to preserve the favorable taxation. That That is the, you know, at the end of the day, the nice benefit about a split dollar plan is that it is a non-taxed withdrawal that comes out of the life insurance uh, from the tax basis and uh, cash values of the life insurance. So we want to make, maintain that, but also maximize how much they're going to get. So the, in this particular instance, the executive getting a 10-year guaranteed payout, we were actually increased their benefit by about 10% when it comes to by 10% by actual dollars in your pocket at time of payout. So there, there was a, a nice win-win for both both parties, and it shortens the duration. It increased the credit union's diversification on the underlying collateral and allowed for this income and recovery. The other side benefit to this for the credit union was that this particular plan had less cash in it than was being booked as a total receivable, a total asset at the credit union. In other words, it, for a, lack of a better term, underwater, it, w- it had uh, personal guarantee involved. So there was you know, yet the executive had to show substantial assets in order to have the credit union recognize the full face value of this loan. And their accountants get a little, you know, the CPAs look at it, the auditors look at it and say, well, you know, we're going to footnote this in a particular way. And we're going to make sure that you're checking the you know, this person's personal assets. The side benefit to this program is that we were able. It's fully collateralized. Once we do this, it's fully collateralized by cash and or or cash value. And what that means is that the credit union no longer has to collect personal financials from the executive. It, it creates a a better or a cleaner uh, separation between a retiree and the board that may or may not know them ten or twenty years down the road. Yeah, I want to want to circle back on several points you just made. So I, I'm used to that occurring, right? For for the folks that we have ongoing relationships with, each year we've got the split dollar illustrated as a uh, as a fixed income in our system, and how we're looking at how a person is living because that's that's what the vast majority of folks do, right? Very few executives actually accelerate their withdrawals, even though that's that's an interesting strategy sometimes. But so it's a fixed income in their uh, life. But every year, there's the process. And the process is, is, is getting that withdrawal approved uh, through the board, the board process and validating that the policy is still uh, in line with what was illustrated. So if you use the strategy, the life note strategy to, to uh, to make some changes, you can potentially eliminate the need to go through that annual process. Is that what you're saying? To some degree. I mean, there is always going to be some due diligence the board uh, and the credit union needs to accomplish because they still own a receivable asset that is a financial vehicle for the, you know, a financial investment of the credit union. So they still need to do that annually. However, it does eliminate or eliminates really the, the, 
fiduciary responsibility of the board with execute with respect to execution of the withdrawals and the benefit itself. And as mentioned, we used a guaranteed annuity on this, which means that it's going to pay out automatically without you know every year, every month, every quarter, or whatever the executive chooses, without having to go through an approval process, without having to go through any kind of you know back and forth. It's basically one approval sign off to to make that happen. And the reason that we can do that is because of that full collateralization aspect to it. Now the credit union is completely secured in an, a way that abstracts it from the executive's personal guarantee that's involved. So essentially, we can eliminate a personal guarantee or or at least make it so that the credit union is not is no longer in that position. Again, thinking about from the executive's personal standpoint, so critically, the split dollar is a series of tax-free payments, and that allows us to do all kinds of shuffling of shells and, and trying to achieve some tax arbitrage in a variety of ways. If you switch, and it is now a annuity payment being received over the same period of time, hopefully the same dollar value, you continue to retain the tax-free nature. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There, so there are a couple of ways that we can approach that. The first is we can keep it, you know, we don't have to use an annuity. We can continue to use the life insurance and kind of keep it as is. It depends on the executive's particular tolerance for risk-reward trade-off. Um, there's some amount of upside that they can give up in order to have the absolute guarantee, I'm going to say guarantee again, absolute guarantee of an insurance company versus a programmed withdrawal from the life insurance. That said, the tax basis is the tax basis. So you've got you've taken out a loan, that's your tax basis. And to the extent we're returning that tax basis, there's no taxation on that that money. Uh, it's going to be repaid and it's, you know, it's it's all um compliant with, with how the IRS regulations look at split dollar plans. Now that said, inside of an annuity, in and of itself, the annuity will earn a rate of return. What that means is if we use an annuity, there's probably a little bit of taxation that will occur, but that also means you'll have a higher benefit. So for example, if uh, I'll just make up some numbers here so it's not traceable back to my example, but I'm going to say a $50,000 $50, annual payout from a split dollar plan that would be a, a non-tax withdrawal of $50,000 per year because it's a return of the cash, cash basis and then a, a policy loan. We can keep that same strategy, you know, 20 years of $50,000 per year. If we put it in an annuity, your net benefit might end up being fifty five thousand or fifty fifty you know fifty five or sixty thousand per year, but of that forty thousand or some amount of that would be tax the return of basis you know non taxed but then the interest earned would generate some taxable income, and that taxable income is what the increase the net of that taxable income after you've paid the taxes is that amount over fifty thousand up to you know fifty five sixty thousand somewhere in there, so you end up with a bit more but you introduce some taxation. Now, the trade-off is that instead of, you know, right now when you take a policy withdrawal, there's really no reporting. It's a return of tax basis. You don't get a 1099. There's no, it's just a transaction of personal money from your left pocket to your right pocket. Under this scenario where we have the annuity, there is a 1099R that's issued that discloses the amount of non-taxed amount and the taxable amount. So it's, it's a little bit different from a reporting standpoint, but at the end of the day, you still do achieve the the goal of having a, a, a large chunk of it being the non-taxed portion. Those are all considerations that we you know we we work with uh, in in making the decision of what what the ex 
executive wants. So Eric, I want to ask another question about this sure. uh, this first example for the collateral assignment, because mm-hmm. what I'm hearing you you say is that what enables the the ability for the credit union to kind of shorten their duration and the executive to potentially retain their same payment stream is giving up of the the large bump that happens when the person passes away. Correct. And when we build the financial plan, we put that way out there, right? So what we're testing what would that that person's spouse is secure you know, if that occurs. But if something happened to them earlier, that could be a big deal. So am I correct to assume that in the design, it would be possible to kind of balance those things out of like we sort of made sure that there was a couple million dollar benefit for the spouse if the executive dies at an early age, but maybe that disappears over time. Was that part of the uh, option uh, options using the strategy? Absolutely, yes. So we really look at it from a life insurance need standpoint, specifically if it's somebody still working, you know, you, there is a loss of income that would occur to that that executive's family and those are the kind of things that you want to make sure you're insuring against from a, a risk standpoint. And we want to make sure that those things stay in force. That view of the world changes a bit once you retire. You've got your kind of your, your known assets and things hopefully are working according to plan. And that's when we see this strategy coming into play. It's closer to retirement is when we actually see the, say not, I would say we, we start it from the beginning or build it in from the beginning, but where it really becomes valuable is in the post-retirement period. Because that allows a executive to choose to have less life insurance that's applicable to their beneficiary and tr- make that trade-off and uh, use the trade to guarantee the living benefit of the withdrawal. And you can still, like we have examples of executives who've made, they're not choosing 100%. In other words, they're not saying, well, I'm going to take as little life insurance as possible. They're saying, well, well we want to make sure, you know, I want to make sure I have, you know, call it $100,000, uh, no matter what, you know, even if I take all my withdrawals, I still want to have $100,000 because I'm going to somebody, but there's going to be some final expenses. And then other executives are in a, a different family situation and might need, you know, some, you know, a bit more of that. And we want to keep that in force as well. So that, that really comes down to the personal planning scenario that we're looking at. At the end of the day, if there's a guarantee, if they want to guarantee that something has to Something has to trade. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's, there's got to be some trade-off to make that happen. But they can choose what that trade-off is, and that's the flexibility of the program. Is it gives us the option instead of only locking us into one potential outcome. Well, so so that's going to be our our example A, and the example A that we got underperforming policy, credit union couldn't get repaid, and have the illustrated income occur to the executive. So you use the life note strategy to kind of break those things apart um, and give the credit union the executive flexibility in that situation. But let's go to example two. So as I mentioned, the whole strategy was born out of that idea of example A, you know, an underperforming plan. What we realized over, uh, especially over the last uh, six, eight months now, is that this program, this strategy we have developed fits extremely well in in a high interest rate environment a rising interest rate environment. And the reason is, is that because we're achieving a abstraction or a, or a separation of the executive's 
loan and the credit union's investment, we can still go into a new split dollar scenario, which if we, if we imagine a new split dollar plan, this is one, a recent one we've done, $600 million credit union CEO, there's going to be a 20-year benefit with three in-service retention withdrawals, it's 15 years until retirement, this executives 50, 50 years old, retiring at 65. And under this scenario, right now, the applicable federal rate is much higher, which means you would head out, uh, the credit union would be in a position where they'd have to put in significantly more cash into the program as an investment in order to produce the same dollar per dollar of benefit that you know just two years ago would have been far less investment. Because now the credit union is essentially being forced or pushed to create in order to keep the uh, the loan itself tax free. You can either we can either introduce taxation to the executive from an imputed interest income standpoint, or the credit union can int- increase the interest rate to the current AFR, which the applicable federal rates hovering around three percent or so, which means the credit union has to put in more money. What this strategy allows us to do is to separate those two things and still provide for a, a market rate loan to provide the benefit to the executive and keep that tax-free to them, you know, no taxation in that because it's a, a market rate loan, but then have the credit union or allow the credit union to only take a, a 1% return or a 2% return and for some amount of time. And you might ask, well, why would a credit union want to take 1% instead of 3%? Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, actually, it, what it does, it allows for flexibility. So you can choose duration because, you know, as I started the conversation off with on the last podcast, it's on the last episode, it's it's a trade-off of time versus money. And if the credit union is looking at this trade-off, now you can make a conscious choice to say, well, do we really want 3% for the next, you know, in this case, the executive's 50 years old, life expectancy means that this is going to be out on the books for 40 years. Does the credit union really want well, this one was about $3 million. Do they really want $3 million hanging out for 40 years at 3%? Or would they rather take a 15-year 1% note and get repaid at retirement? And that's exactly what the credit union chose at this instance. By taking that $15 million at 1%, it allowed them to put, the, put $3 million into the plan instead of $6 million into the plan. So you have, which would be the equivalent, you know, we'd have to put in $6 million in order to get repaid at year 15 at 3%. So there's a very clear trade-off of how much money needs to go into the program at what interest rate in order to produce every dollar of benefit. And if we can optimize this so that we can have the least amount of investment, the least amount of opportunity cost for every dollar of benefit that's coming out of the plan, that is how we achieve an optimized net economic value of the program. Is essentially taking all things considered, how do we optimize that? And this strategy allows us to have that abstraction so that in a high interest rate environment, in a low interest rate environment, in a middle interest rate environment, we can have the choice to optimize it for the credit union rather than kind of take whatever's being given to us at the the time it goes in. So example B is the ability to choose your duration and to fix that duration as is appropriate for what's going on in the relationship with the executive, with the credit union, uh, and then to change it as things change. Because I've certainly seen several executives I can think of that job changed and the credit union still has the policy 
for a executive that didn't stay there all the way until retirement mm-hmm. uh, and is kind of uh, stuck in that uh, arrangement. Yep. What I think I understand is they aren't necessarily stuck in that arrangement with a life note strategy. They could uh, consider other choices. Absolutely. And and again, so some of the things that kind of came along for the ride once we figured out how to fix enforce plans was this idea that now that these things are abstracted a bit, it allows us to unwind a split dollar plan very easily. So now we can create a strategy, a better strategic outcome for the credit union because they can design their executive benefit strategy, knowing that if it doesn't work out, it's very easy to unwind. It's, you know, we've increased liquidity, diversification, we've abstracted or separated some of the cash values from the death benefit and the benefit from the taxation so that you allow an, an organization to step away from the plan if they need to or, the, or to sell it without impacting the benefit. You can even imagine, like we could even imagine a scenario where the credit union needs liquidity and decides to sell their portion of the plan and the executive is still there. There's, there are a lot of possibilities that we open up by using the strategy. And certainly unwinding, you know, that's one of the, I would say, with our very deep knowledge set in this, one of the things that we have done a lot of is to take plans that are in force, set up, you know, what I would say, plans that we either we set up or plans that other producers had set up, and then we unwind them or show credit unions how to unwind them in a financially constructive way instead of, as they say, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and taking a loss. You don't have to do that in a, in a plan. And now with the life note strategy, that's built in from the beginning. They're like, the, the way we unwind this becomes a very clean process. Yeah. And I think this is a good time to touch on one of the components here, you know, we talk about different plans that we're either changing or we're augmenting and getting back on track. As we've touched on in each of the episodes we've done with you, we're really excited about how this will lead to other firms using this product. It's not just your local insurance rep that will sell a split dollar plan that could end up needing augmentation down the road and realignment. And from our firm to our competing firms, we have all, through a whipsawing interest rate environment and decreasing dividends over the last several years, had to make adjustments. And so what we believe is that the Life Note strategy has created a new and, in our opinion, a best solution for fixing a lot of these plans. And we want the the groups that we have historically competed with, we want to work with them and the strategy to implement and fix those plans. And we're happy to enter into arrangements where we're they're using our strategy to fix plans and we're not going to go in there and take their client from them. It's it's a it's something that can be used for the betterment of the credit union community. And if we can work with them, I think that's that's the best play. Yeah, I, I get all uh, nostalgic uh, about what it is we're doing and like the the way that the credit unions way that the credit union movement really helps the world in creating financial solutions that may not otherwise be uh, able to be utilized by people. And part of that is the commitment that we as an organization make to our clients in having these programs work. And whether it's uh, the plans that went in place in the early 90s when, when my 
my father and his colleagues were first uh, kind of coming up with these things all the way to plans we put in today, we want to look back 30 and 40 years from now. And that's how we measure success is on a 30 and 40 year time scale. Not probably because by then I'll be retired. No, no, I don't think so. But a 30 and 40 year time scale so that when a, a board of directors we've never met looks back on this and says they did the right things in order to make the credit union succeed how it has succeeded. We've retained talent. We've created incentives. Had people retire successfully, and these have been good plans. And you know that commitment is broader than just the plans that we happen to put in place. It's the plans that we pick up, and the plans that are at the. I never want to hear the horror story of the credit union down the street who had a plan fail because they they had you know they didn't have the tool set, they didn't have the the expertise, or they weren't relying on the experts that needed they needed to rely on in order to create a plan or fix a plan or adjust the plan as as the world changed. I can I can imagine so many situations where the flexibility would be of value. And I just want to uh, have you guys uh, make comments around any of these that just immediately come to mind. Is I can imagine a situation where it's a couple uh, when the plan is built and when uh, retirement initially begins, but then one of the people passes away. Let's say it's the spouse, not the retired executive. And, and, and perhaps the insurance need is no longer there or is dramatically reduced. So it is, it can, what I think I'm hearing you say is it's conceivable that the in, in, when any executive benefits specialist is doing their annual review with the policy, they need to be uh, aware of life changes that might have occurred that would cause the the overall structure of life insurance with this big amount that comes when you pass away, is that still a valid design or is it uh, no longer needed or less needed? So therefore, is it correct to assume that if that, if that occurs, the spouse passed away, the insurance need is dramatically less, would it be likely that the executive could come into the pool and potentially get a increase in uh, net revenue as a result of removing that need for life insurance? So I would say that on a case-by-case basis, that would be a consideration we would take into account. It would be, you know, I don't have a direct example of that one today. But as I said, we've yeah. been in development on this program for a couple of years, but we really just have been rolling it out for a, for a few months. And I'm sure that will come up and I can't see any reason why not, but that uh, that, that's going to be a question for uh, me and my analyst and, and many hours in, on Excel. Yeah, just thinking <laughs> through it, I would, I would bet that the longer the time is into the uh, assumed mortality age, the greater the opportunity for that to occur because of all the insurance cost over all that time. But that's, a, that's an interesting use case. I can also imagine someone uh, getting into a, a very, very expensive long-term care situation so that their need for cash is very front-loaded and their need for death benefit is is, uh, secondary. And so this might allow them to get access to more funds for that long-term care situation, potentially. Absolutely. That that is certainly a use case for both life notes and some of the riders that are built into the life insurance policies these days that I think it's a under-recognized or underutilized benefit to these programs is some of the long-term care aspects of the programs themselves. So this LifeNote strategy, when we approach it as a tool set, 
also allows us to look at things that are already in force from a 457F standpoint. So there are a lot of programs that people, uh, that you know, CEOs, executives have at credit unions that are really, I say, based on the other major bucket that we have available to us from the IRS, which is 457. And uh, on an F plan in particular being kind of the unlimited plan where it's targeted at least nominally at either retirement or some some date in the future that has a lump sum payout. The drawbacks to that are the taxation and the fact that the credit union has to put in, you know, if you're going to get the same dollar for dollar in your pocket as a benefit, that means that the credit union is putting in a lot more money and effectively taking a lower interest rate. So there's there ends up being more opportunity costs in a 457F in most instances once you've taken everything into account. The flexibility that something like Life Notes gives us is in combining these two things. So now we've talked, we had uh, our prior episode on credit union on life insurance. And you know we've talked a, lo- a lot about split dollar on this episode. Now, if we combine those two ideas and you have a 457F that's in force, 457Fs are often funded by credit union on life insurance, but they're also often enforced for the very reason that split dollar plans have such a long duration, so they have such a, an extended time frame, or they have a perception of, of opportunity cost. And now that we have the ability to change that, we can look at that 457F and do a couple of things. We can first take a 457F and keep that in force. And the credit union can reallocate or say reallocate investment into a higher yield investment into the life note strategy, meaning you know that life insurance that might be in force to fund the program at least uh, in name only it might be earning two or three or four percent. We can now show them. We can now show us five or six percent a secure overnight's fund rate plus three hundred sixty basis points, or we can in, inside the uh, life note strategy redesign that. 457F plan into a split dollar design that still looks like credit union owned life insurance to the credit union. So if the credit union just puts its blinders on and says, well, I've got a black box in front of me that is producing some benefit and I've got an investment here that's creating that, it's not going to change how that black box works or or looks to them. It's just going to change the rate of return on the program. And by moving this design from a split or 457F plan to a split dollar plan, if there's accrued liability, if there's some some amount of accounting treatment there that would be able to be recovered, the credit union could have a windfall from this. So there might be a, a strong benefit from the credit union standpoint. And the executive, if they've got uh, credit union on life insurance, they've got some insurance there that we can use from a insurability standpoint, we may not even need additional life insurance. We might be able to use what's already on the table or just augment what's already on the table or from the executive standpoint so that they can move from a 457F to a split dollar plan without having to impact the credit union's duration on the repayment or recovery of that asset. And in my mind, that really overcomes one of the biggest challenges we have in looking at executive deferred compensation is that you know, it's great to have a tax-free benefit, but it also means you have to have the credit union involved for 20 years post-retirement. And if now that we can eliminate that very, very easily without having to overfund the plan, I would say the traditional way of doing a split dollar plan that had a crawl out at retirement was just to overfund it to the extent that the earnings would be able to repay the credit union. So you would put in an extra 
sometimes even double or triple amount of money in order to make that happen, but you would get repaid in 15 years. Well, now you don't have to put in any more money to make that happen. And that's really the flexibility of the strategy is it allows you to get the money back earlier without having to put in maybe a little bit more, but not having to put in multiples more amounts of uh, investment in order to create the same dollar for dollar benefit. Very interesting. Now, from from the executive's share and thinking about the 457F, the 457F, of course, is this big tax event that occurs. And then after that tax event occurs, we've got some ability to, to do things. But it's not a series of tax-free payments. What, what I think I just heard you say is there is the possibility that the 457F could be converted into a series of tax-free payments using the LifeNote strategy. That's correct. I would expect I could build some testing around this, but I would expect that to be very compelling from mm-hmm. a personal planning standpoint. Yeah, and and I think that yeah, certainly from a personal planning standpoint, it gives you a ton of flexibility. From the credit union and the executive standpoint, it's a much more attractive benefit for essentially the same investment amount. And the as a, as we like to joke, nobody retires and goes out and buys a huge bag of groceries with their 457F money. They're, they're going to take that and reinvest it. So really what you're interested in in general is a stream of income anyway. If we can do that and do that on a tax-free basis without the drawback, often the, the stumbling block or the, the thing in the way of a 457F conversion is the fact that it goes so much beyond retirement. If we can, and we can eliminate that as a concern, then we really have created something that is going to be more advantageous for credit unions and executives to take advantage of. Yeah, and, and I'd like to add in here a couple of reasons why an executive would want to participate in the strategy, right? So one, we've talked about saving a planned benefit that might be not on track, transferring risk from themselves into the strategy. And then the key here is getting more money and getting it faster. So we've talked about how on on average, we're going to see about 110% of their benefit. And the, the other cool thing is we figured out is we're able to we're able to get them that benefit over a shorter time frame, right? So typically it's going to be we're going to see options of 20 years and 10 years. And so it's not going to be a massive decrease to get it over that 10 years. So if somebody has a hundred thousand dollars a year in their split dollar plan for 20 years. The strategy is going to be able to offer them, if it's on track, it's going to be able to offer them about $110,000, give or take, a year for 20 years. And then it will likely be able to offer them about $205,000 a year for 10 years, right? So more money than they were going to get in their original split dollar plan, and they're going to get it faster. I say this because we had a conversation with somebody who has a 457F and we're discussing different options. And he said, look, I don't need it all at once. I'm probably going to come out after taxes getting chopped in half on this thing, leaving with about half a million dollars. But if I could get $150,000 for five years or $75,000 for 10 years instead, that makes it worthwhile to them. So again, getting more money and getting it faster. And then the last piece, which we've touched on already, I think is a huge value add is not having to deal with a board of directors and a credit union that you have left in retirement, very often a board that you don't even know. So those pieces, I feel like, are big reasons why an executive would would like this strategy. Excellent, Jay. Well, we have achieved the longest 
episode of See You on the Show ever uh, with this uh, awesome content about the Life Notes strategy. I'd like to congratulate the Stearns uh, group on uh, this uh, innovation. And, and I, I truly love the idea that the other uh, folks that get to, to serve the credit union industry like other executive benefit specialists, folks, folks like me can participate in the in the life note strategy without breaking the relationship they have with uh, their clients, and and that that uh, kind of goes to the uh, the the nature of the credit union movement of, of people helping people. So I think I think that's that's truly a wonderful thing. So uh, with that, I'm going to uh, just say, uh, Eric and uh, and Jay, any final thoughts for our listeners? No, not here. Look, if you're if you're still listening, you are a friend of ours because we have gone very long. So we want to say thank you, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and, and, I, and we're excited to talk I, more. Yeah, that's I uh, I can make the commitment. We won't talk this long in a board meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, as Eric said, reach out to any of us on LinkedIn, and and we'll be happy to to get back in touch. So. That's all the insider credit union knowledge we have for this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe and share your thoughts with other credit union leaders by leaving us a review. See you next time on See You on the Show. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual security. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly.